Mordechai told them to reply to Esther with this answer, Do not think in your soul that you will escape the king's household more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Who knows whether you have attained a royal status for such a time as this. Esther chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Sameach Purim. Welcome to Messiah and Life, everyone. Happy Purim. It is the season of Purim, which is just a few short weeks before the feast of Pesach, of Passover. And it is a time of preparation and reflection on conditions that we find ourselves in in life, the pressures that we find, the terrors that we see around us. It's a time to remind ourselves of the victories of God and how he works those victories through very human vessels. In the story of Esther and Mordecai overcoming the evil plot of Haman is one of the most inspirational that we'll find. And it's also unusual because of one simple thing that can be easily overlooked but has great meaning as we understand this book. From the outside looking in, the festival of Purim and the observance can seem strange if you're standing out on the street looking through the windows of a synagogue. You'll see costumes, you'll see people making noise, screaming, beating on drums, whatever they can find to make noise with. We have cheers for Mordechai in some traditions, and we have booze, of course, drowning out the name of the evil Haman. Joy is pervasive. Cookies are abundant. Charity is given. But it's also a time when we reflect on anti-Semitism, prejudice, and hatred in general, as well as recognize the call to action that this book brings to us. The mitzvahs that are associated with Purim, according to rabbinic tradition, are reading the Megillah, the book of Esther, giving gifts to friends, eating a festive meal, and giving charity to the poor. King Akashverosh, Queen Vashti, Mordechai, Queen Esther, or Hadassah, and the evil Haman. This is the biblical caste who lives out this historic drama. And depending on the year and who is reading and making commentary on the Megillah of Esther, It can amplify for us the varied and differing pressures facing human societies. I'm always amazed at how, from year to year, the story of Esther, the story of Mordechai, and the story of Haman always seems to speak to some tragic circumstance that we're facing in the world. As we know, Esther enters the life of King Akashverosh after Queen Vashti refuses to appear before him as he desires to show her off during this feast for his greatness. 
before his leaders and governors. She refuses, which is unthinkable. She had no no real authority, no position, even as queen, to refuse the request, the command of the king. She She couldn't do this. But the Lord was doing something. He was beginning to orchestrate steps that the actors that are taking part in this perhaps didn't recognize for many years to come. Of course, we know Esther is made queen, and she and Mordecai, after she is made queen, help to save the life of King Akashverosh from those who sought to kill him and overthrow his kingdom. Yet there is a plot that is about to unfold after a man named Haman is raised to this great and influential position in the court. And then he uses that influence to plot against the Jewish people who are living in Shushan, who are living in the kingdom, who are exiled in the kingdom because one Jew refused to bow. And as he points out to King Akashverosh, these are unusual people. They don't listen to your commands. They have their own God. They have their own commandments that they believe in and they listen to, and they won't bow to me. He has a fit about this. But that insult led to a potential tragedy for the Jewish people. And after this plot is revealed and Mordecai goes to Esther, he reprimands Esther and Esther does respond, and she begins to unfold her own plot against Haman in order to reveal to King Akashverosh what is happening. For such a time as this, Mordecai wonders, were you set in this royal position? Were you placed in this position to save the Jewish people, to be a deliverer among the Jewish people? If not, you're not going to escape either. If not, you and your father's house will go to destruction. But before all of this takes place, before Haman is able to execute his own plot against Mordecai, Haman has to publicly reward Mordecai for saving the king. And of course, he returns to his own house humiliated before his family. And this only fans the flame, stokes the fire for the anger, the hatred, the bitterness that he has for the Jewish people and Mordecai in particular. And at that feast that Esther arranges, she reveals the plot of Haman. She reveals just who he is before King Akashverosh. She reveals herself. And of course, Haman's plot is turned over on him as he is hung from the very gallows that he built to hang Mordecai from. And then Mordecai is raised to a position equal to that of what Haman had, and he sends out an edict that is annulling the plot of Haman and allows the Jewish people to fight for themselves, to stand up for themselves, and ultimately for them to be saved. But as we look at the book of Esther, When we reflect over the 10 chapters, the one thing that we observe is that the name of the Lord is never mentioned. And this causes the rabbis to ask, and they've mused on this in in many, many verses, 
where is this in the Torah? Where is the book of Esther in the Torah? In Deuteronomy 31 verse 18, they find an answer. I'll first read this in Hebrew and then translate to English, but listen closely to how two words in particular sound. Va'anochi, chester, estir, penei bayom chahu. And I will surely hide my face in that day. When we look at the book of Esther, surely he is hidden, but he's not absent. We see that even though his face may be hidden, his name not mentioned, that he still works behind the scenes and he continues to help Israel through indirect and concealed ways. He truly does order the steps of his people and he makes a way when no other way seems available. So when we take all of this into consideration, we note that two words that I read in Deuteronomy 31 and verse 18 are reminiscent of the name Esther. They sound very similar to the name Esther, meaning to hide or to conceal. And of course, Hadassah is um, Esther's first name. It's the name, her Jewish name, we might say, which means myrtle tree. And in the rabbinic writings, the myrtle tree is associated with righteousness. So there's something beautiful beginning to be revealed here. In traditional Judaism, the book of Esther is called Megillah Esther. In Hebrew, the word Megillah not only means scroll, but it also means to reveal. So, in essence, Megillah Esther is a book revealing the concealed. And this happens with two acts of civil disobedience. Two acts of civil disobedience set the stage for Esther, one by Vashti and one by Mordechai. Vashti, who refuses to appear before the king, and Mordechai, who refuses to bow. One has far-reaching impact on women, the other far-reaching impact on Jews. So, bearing this in mind, if we think back, Mordechai advises Esther, her Hadassah, to hide her identity while she is being considered for queen. Again, Esther means to hide or to conceal, and that is exactly what she did. She made hidden her true identity. In life, we often assume different uh, metaphorical masks, we might say, for seasons in our life, for situations in our life that arise, perhaps for employment or social concerns, or even to escape a, a troubled past. Yet the masks that we put on for one reason or another must come off in order to reveal who we are. The power of identity is not in the masks that we apply for the sake of social acceptance or personal protection, but the power of who we are, the person that we are, that God has made us to be in his Son. 
That's the power of identity. No mask that we can create, no mask that we might assume can replace the power of our identity in the Son of God. So that begs the question, what price are we willing as individuals to pay for public revelation of who we are, for public revelation of our identity? To hide behind our mask really is to choose the way of silence in the face of desperate need and suffering that abounds in this age. It's easier just to hide behind a mask than it is to take action. But I set before you some ideas because we have suffered, we know how to comfort. Because we've been afraid, we know how to calm. Because we're hungry, we know how to feed. Because we were strangers, we know how to welcome. Because we were hurt, we know how to heal. But we must be vulnerable. We must be exposed. We must be willing to go when called on. We must be willing to fast when needed and act knowing that God has ordered our steps. He's already gone before us and he's brought us to this place for such a time as this. So many of us are asking these types of questions and answering, was it for such a time as this that God has brought me to the kingdom, that God has brought you to the kingdom? What can my life do to impact the life of those around me? Hadassah had to reveal that Esther was a Jew and that her people were subject to a death penalty by a wicked and evil dictator ruling in the place of Akashverosh. She had to step out behind, from behind the mask that even her uncle Mordechai advised her to assume. She had to show who she really was, and in that demonstration of she, who she really was, the power of our, her identity, the power of who she was as a person came forward. She stepped before the king, and she delivered her people because God ordered her steps. How will you reveal your identity in faith? How will you step out behind the mask that might be more socially acceptable? How will you put faith into action for the deliverance, for the relief of others? As Hillel asked so famously and so beautifully, if not now, when? When we look at the mitzvahs that are associated with Purim, traditionally, when we think about it, it might be, they might seem kind of incidental, but each one of them is a beautiful reminder because reading the Megillah, reading the story, brings to remembrance all that has happened and just how the Lord works when we don't see him. He's still there. How giving gifts to friends is recognizing who they are and celebrating the fellowship and the friendship and the love that we have. Eating a festive meal, celebrating the blessing and the abundance that we have and giving to charity, helping to lift and deliver those who have fallen in difficult circumstances. How will you reveal your identity in faith? How will you reveal actions of faith that bring deliverance and relief and help and hope to those who seem to be lacking all of that right now. 
That's part of what we remember at this season and why we are using Purim as a preparation, a joyful preparation before the serious business of Pesach. If not now, when? With so much darkness in the world, the Lord has caused us to be light. Now we need to shine a light into the darkness in order to give hope to those who are trapped in that darkness. Oh, I pray that we all find the strength, the integrity. I pray we heed the word of Mordechai for such a time as this. Perhaps this is why you've been brought to the kingdom. Oh, and when we recognize that truth, and we recognize that he has also gone before us, ordered our steps, brought us to this moment, and he will certainly make the way when none seem available. Friends, I hope and pray that some of the words today will bless your heart and encourage you in your life of faith, no matter what you might be facing. If you are in a position to help, then help. If you are in a position of need, then know that help is on the way and the Lord is hearing our prayers. Glory to his name. Friends, I thank you for listening, as always. And I hope and pray that it's been a blessing to you and to your day. So as I prepare to close this, this little talk, these little words, I pray that the Lord will bless and keep you. In Jesus' name, I pray the Lord bless and keep you all. Amen. Amen. Amen.